We value Christ-centered Bible teaching that has depth and substance while being clear, interesting, and relevant. And I think today's scripture from Ephesians 2 sketches out for us beautifully what kind of church we want to be in this regard and what it looks like to be a church that prioritizes God's word. But first, why? Why prioritize God's word? Well, there are a lot of ways that we can answer this question, but let me just reflect on my own experience when I don't prioritize God's word. Because from time to time, I get busy, my days get filled up, and before I know it, my whole day has gone by, and I haven't spent time in God's word. Am, am I the only one that that ever happens to? <laughs> um, yes, even pastors sometimes neglect God's word. And, and it's easy to tell myself, it's okay. I'm still focusing on God. I'm still praying. I'm still committed. I'm still walking faithfully with God. But, but here's what I find. Over time, subtly at first, but more noticeably as time goes on, I start losing altitude. Imagine I'm like a plane flying along, and spiritually speaking, when I start neglecting God's word, I start losing altitude. I begin to forget. I begin to forget how important it is that I'm faithful to God. I begin to forget how much God wants me to spend time with him. I begin to forget how weak I am, how much I need God's presence and power in my life, and I can't do it by myself. I begin to forget when I begin to neglect God's word, how wonderful God is and how God can fill up my heart. Fill up my heart with what my heart longs for, like nothing else can fill up my heart in that way. I begin to forget that I can trust God for what I need and that God can do far more than I think or I expect God to do. I begin to forget God and lose sight of all that God is and all that God has done, and all that God has promised. And so if that's ever happened to you, then hopefully this morning's sermon is a reminder of how important it is and how wonderful it is when we prioritize God's word, because we value that as a congregation. So let's look at today's passage. And the first thing you might be wondering, if, if you heard the passage as it was read, as Pam read it, is, where does this passage even mention God's word, right? It doesn't mention the word Bible or scripture or the phrase God's word, but it does mention the apostles and prophets, right? Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Just a few sentences later, the apostle Paul who wrote this letter will mention these apostles and prophets again in chapter three, verse five, Paul's talking about the mystery of Christ, and he says, this mystery was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. The apostles and prophets are those who, by God's Spirit, received direct revelation from God. God revealed to them the foundational truths of who Jesus Christ was and why Jesus came and what it all means. That is, 
what God was and is doing in the world through Jesus Christ. And so the apostles and prophets ultimately were the ones who wrote the New Testament. When, when Paul says that the church, God's people, are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, no doubt he's talking about these leaders as persons uh, who had a big influence on founding, on starting the early Jesus movement. But he's also talking about their teaching, their message, much of which we now have in the New Testament that forms the foundation upon which that early Jesus movement of God's people was built. Does that make sense? Do you see why I'm making the jump, which I don't really think is much of a jump from apostles and prophets to God's word, or, or at least to the New Testament? Because when the New Testament uses the word scripture, it's usually talking about the Old Testament. When it wants to, to talk uh, or rather, when the New Testament wants to talk about what we now have in what we call the New Testament, it refers to the teaching and the message of the apostles, and to a lesser extent, the prophets. Well, in this passage, Paul paints for us an incredible, ideal, threefold picture of what God's people should look like and be like. Here's how I'd summarize it. And God's word as revealed and passed on to us by the apostles and prophets plays a key role in all three of these things I'm going to summarize. In fact, God's word is the foundation for all three. So here's the three. The, um, here's the three. By God's word, we have been invited into God's family. We have been aligned with Christ. And we have, or we are built up together into a place for God to dwell. Notice Paul's mixing his metaphors here in this passage. In verse 19, he begins with an immigration and citizenship metaphor. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. Then Paul switches to an adoption and family metaphor, appropriate for Mother's Day. You are all members of God's household. And then in verses 20 to 23, as we'll see, Paul switches again, this time to a building metaphor, a temple metaphor. And each metaphor expresses in its own way an aspect of the wonderful, exciting good news of the gospel, the good news that we know because of God's word, because of God's apostles and prophets. So let's look in more detail at these three aspects of this picture that Paul paints here for us. The first is this, we have been invited into God's family. And this aspect of the good news draws on the first two metaphors, the immigration and citizenship metaphor and the family metaphor, and it presents us with a before and after scene. Before we were that, but now after the work of Jesus Christ, we are this. Before Christ, we were diverse, and we were distant. We came from many different places. We came from many different peoples. Maybe we were Romans, or we were Greeks, or we were North Africans, or in today's terms, we were Filipino, or Brazilian, or Taiwanese, or Burmese, or Korean, or German, or French, or American, or whatever. But whatever we were, Paul says, 
We were strangers. We were foreigners and aliens. We were foreigners to God. We were foreigners to God's people. Because before Jesus came, God's people were Jews, right? The Jews were God's special people whom God had made a covenant with. God had offered them grace and promised to be close to them and everyone else, no matter who they were, were on the outside looking in. We were foreigners. Each of us were, were distant from God, each in our own way. I grew up in a Christian family, but before I knew Jesus Christ personally, I was distant from God. I didn't know God very well. I mean, I had grown up in church. I knew a lot about God. But God was distant to me on a personal level. I didn't really know God personally. And I had done things I knew that meant I was not worthy to know God. I had been selfish. I had been unkind. As a teen boy full of hormones, I had thought things that I knew God did not approve of me thinking. <laughs> so many other things, too. So God was at a distance for me. I wasn't a holy person. I couldn't get close to God. But that was before Jesus Christ. Before Christ came into my life. But through Christ, I realized Jesus was willing to forgive me and to cleanse me of all of those things that were keeping me at a distance from God. I didn't need to clean all of that up to come to Jesus any more than you have to clean yourself up before you go take a bath when your mom tells you to take a bath. No, I could come to Jesus just as I was and he would clean me. He would forgive me. He would bring me close to God. In fact, Jesus was offering not only to introduce me to God, but in the most incredible offer ever, Jesus was offering to make me part of God's family. Jesus was inviting me to come and sit down at God's own dinner table, to introduce me to his father, to sit with God's own children, and to say, you belong here. Come with us. Be a part of God's family. Wow. Has God done that for any of you? Yeah, amen. That's what Paul is saying here. And the good news, that amazing news has been revealed to us by the apostles and the prophets. By God's word, we know and we celebrate this good news. How would we know it otherwise? Then the second aspect of Paul's picture here, God's word, if we go to the next slide, helps us get lined up with, get aligned with Christ. Paul switches to the temple metaphor now, the temple that's, that's being built. And Paul says, the apostles and prophets, God's word is the foundation. And what's the first thing that word does? It aligns us with the cornerstone. And the cornerstone is Christ. I don't know if any of you have, have built a house or, or other building, but when I was about 10 years old, my family built our own house. And, and the first thing we did was we dug a hole and then we lay a, a concrete footer, poured it, and, and then we started building the foundational basement walls out of uh, concrete blocks on top of that footer. 
And this all began with a cornerstone, as I remember it, with one concrete block that we set on one corner of the foundation, and then every measurement was taken from that. From that cornerstone, we stretched out guidelines, we made sure everything was level, we took measurements, we squared things up, and we built the concrete basement foundational walls all measured, all taken off of that cornerstone, which was the first corner block. And that's the image Paul is using when he talks about Christ as the cornerstone. Christ is the one everything has to be aligned to and measured from. Because it's all about Christ. And this is true in a lot of ways, but let me mention three of the big ones. Three ways, uh, three big ways that God's word constantly aligns us back to Christ. Three ways, uh, or three we reasons we have to stay in God's word and prioritize God's word so that our lives and hearts, so that our way of functioning and operating as a church doesn't become misaligned from our cornerstone. One, if we could have the next slide, is Christ himself. Uh, we have another, another slide. Oh, sorry. I, you're, you're ahead, you're ahead of me. I just not reading carefully. Okay. So, so one, one way that we're aligned with Christ has to do with Christ himself, because it's all about Jesus. Jesus is the one who offers us life. Jesus is the one who forgives our sins. Jesus is the one who offers us his Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one who offers us true and real life. Jesus is the one who shows us more than anyone else what God is like. Christianity is about a person, and that person is Jesus. And so everything we do in church is for and about Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about our great ideas or our plans or what we want or need or even our great ideas about church and God and culture. It's about Jesus. It's about a person. Are you getting to know that person better? Are you regularly visiting his Facebook page? He's got four Facebook pages actually. They're called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <laughs> second, the second way God's word constantly aligns us back to Christ has to do with grace. God's kingdom works based on grace, not based on merit, not based on earning, not based on how hard we work. And this is so important because we as humans are incurable scorekeepers. I'm doing more than him. I'm more faithful than her. I pray more. I volunteer more. I am more passionate about God. I am nicer. I am kinder. I care more. I'm more authentic and less fake and phony. We constantly want to make God's kingdom about our performance, about our worthiness, and we're constantly tempted to compare ourselves to others and to judge others based on what they are or aren't doing. 
And of course, if we're doing worse than others, then we're afraid to come close to God. We feel we're unworthy, and so we, we lurk in the corners and we cut ourselves off from the very one who wants to help us. But our record, our earning, our merit is not actually how God's house gets built. It's not based on our performance. It's based on God's grace through Jesus Christ. Jesus, again, is the cornerstone because Jesus is the only one who has done enough, who is worthy enough to be a part of God's family, to be a part of God's house. And Jesus died on the cross so that the rest of us can come in and join him for free and so that we can be free in God's family together. But we forget this. And so we need God's word to remind us again and again that God's kingdom operates based on grace, not based on performance. And then the third way God's word constantly aligns us back to our cornerstone who is Christ has to do with servanthood. Because Jesus's way of being our Lord, being our cornerstone, Jesus's way of being the one who it's all about and the one who's in charge is the way of laying aside his power, laying aside his prerogatives in love to become the least, to be a servant, and to lay down his life in order to lift up others. That's why God made Jesus Lord of all. God saw Jesus lay down his life in love on the cross and God said, yes! <laughs> This is the kind of leadership I want in my world and in my family. So I'm going to make Jesus, the servant king, the cornerstone of everything else I build. I'm making Jesus, my servant king, the one from which everything else gets measured and judged. And if you want to be great in my kingdom, if you want to lead then like Jesus, your example, your cornerstone, you need to become the servant of all. But again, that's not human nature to think that way. We forget every day. Human nature is about trying to get our way, trying to get others to do what we want, seeking influence, seeking authority, pushing our agenda to make others see and do it our way. And that's why we need God's word to continually realign us with the cornerstone with Jesus and with his way of being great, which is the way of servant hood, servant leadership. Do you see why we need a cornerstone? Do you see why God's word is our foundation? pointing us again and again back to our cornerstone, who is Jesus, so everything stays square and aligned with him. All right, let's move finally to the third aspect of the picture that Paul paints here uh, of what God's church, God's people should be like. Paul's continuing with the, the temple imagery here in verses 21 and 22. In him, he says, that is in Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. By God's word, we are built up and built together to be a place for God to dwell. 
Picture this. If we're not on the foundation of God's word, of the apostles and prophets, or rather, sorry, erase that picture. <laughs> if we are on the foundation of God's word, of God's apostles and prophets, and if we are aligned with the cornerstone, who is Jesus, then we will grow up together to be a place that God himself can dwell, can live in by God's spirit. The picture here is of God's Old Testament temple. That great, grand, exquisite, wondrous building. It was built with the finest building materials, polished quarried stone, the finest cedar woods, gold expertly hand worked, the finest fabrics. It was a huge, rich, opulent building fitting for the greatest king. And unlike any other building, it was actually home to the king of all kings, to God himself. And this is lost on many uh, of us today, but in the ancient worldview, where every culture and people had temples and were familiar with temples, they understood that a temple is a microcosm of the whole world. It's a mini universe. And in fact, the Jewish temple, the, the temple of the one true God, the Jews understood to be the center of the universe. The place where heaven and earth met. The thin space, the portal where heaven overlapped with earth. And from that place flowed life and peace and God's good order so that the world from there can flourish and can be blessed. Us, God's people, God's temple, us, including us in this room, the center of the cosmos and a microcosm of the universe, us, the place where heaven meets earth, where God is present on this earth, Paul says, yes, absolutely. That is what, through God's word, God is building us up to be. Are we up for the challenge? Are we cooperating? <laughs> and how will we get there without God's word? In fact, how will we even remember who we are and who we are meant to be without God's word? So those are some of the reasons we as a church prioritize God's word. We're not part of a denomination. We don't have a hierarchy to keep us accountable or to tell us what we should do or what we should believe. We simply look to this book, God's word, to shape us, to form us, to keep us on track. We do it by preaching. We prioritize having biblical sermons that focus on and flow out of the text of this book. We also study the Bible in small groups, learning more personally, rolling up our sleeves to know and to understand this book, to put it into practice, to put it into application, to let it do its work on us and in us as we live it out together in community. 
And then we also study it on our own. We read it, we meditate on it, we memorize it. Why? So we don't forget. So we hear again and again the invitation, diverse though we are, that we can come close to God, we can belong to God, we can be a part of God's family together. And so we keep ourselves aligned with the cornerstone, Jesus, so that we keep seeking to know Jesus personally and to uh, soak our lives in his grace and to follow him on his upside down path of servanthood. And so we remember and cooperate with God as he builds us together into his own temple, his own dwelling, so God can be among us in this world. And so that God's blessing in life can flow out from us to the world around us. So as I think of my temptation from time to time when I get busy to say, ah, it doesn't matter that, that I'm not taking time to spend in God's word. I'm close enough to God. I'm good for today. I remember what the Bible says, even if I don't take time to read it. When I do this, I wonder if it's like if dinner time comes and I'm like, I don't need to eat. I remember how to eat. <laughs> I remember eating. You know, I ate yesterday. I'm good. Because when I do re-engage with scripture, when I do take time to read again or to meditate on a short passage of God's word, it, it kind of feels like, why was I okay not doing this? Now it doesn't feel that some days are dry, right? But, but overall, why was I okay not being in the habit of doing this? Because this is nourishing me. I, I'm eating. And now I realize how hungry I was. This tastes good. Boy, I needed this. How did I think I was okay without it? So as we close, um, I want to invite you to just take a minute and think, what is God saying to you this morning? What is God saying to you this morning about his word?